Welcome to Creating a Buzz About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Hello, hello, hello. I am so excited about this episode. So, um, you may have heard of Fibonacci. Now, Leonardo Fibonacci was an Italian and he was born in 1170 in Pizza and he died in 1250. So it was a long, long time ago. And his parents were mathematicians or his father was a mathematician. He got to travel a lot around the Middle East and the Far East. And that really got him interested in numbers and the patterns of numbers. Now, he wrote a few books. And in those days, books were handwritten. And if you wanted a copy of the book, it had to be a copy, a handwritten copy. Anyway, he wrote a few books. And in some of these books, he posed mathematical questions and um, sort of discussed the possible answers. And one of the things he questioned was the breeding frequency of rabbits if they were in a completely confined space. And what he found is you would get a sequence and it seemed to be repeatable. And then he and other mathematicians and biologists started looking through nature and finding that this pattern is repeated everywhere. And it's called the Fibonacci sequence. And the pattern is a sequence of numbers. So it starts with zero, then one, then one again. Then it's two, three, five, eight, 13, 21, 34, 55, and so on. And each number is the sum of the previous two numbers added together. So you can imagine that people have looked into this with bees and um, the connection with bees and Fibonacci is well known to be in the heritage of drones. So drones are born from an unfertilized egg. So it means they have one parent, the mother. But the mother, the queen, she'll actually have two parents. So when you go through the family tree, you get the repeat of this number because the drone will always have one or um, two or three missing grandparents as the genetic line goes through. So it's absolutely fascinating for me where I have been keeping records of all the bees I keep, both my own bees and with clients. And I'm really fascinated with lots of things about bees, obviously. So I, I like to see where they land when they swarm. Um, if you get a repeat of that and having been in the same area for a long period of time, it's, it, you know, it's great fun to see that, you know, where the bees are going to swarm and then asking questions. Why do they always land here? So I've always find things to be interested in with bees and looking for patterns. And it was looking at the patterns of swarms and the frequency of swarms that got me interested in the geopathic stress lines and the frequency of bees. Now, you may or may not know, but I'm studying to be a medical herbalist and I'm studying with the IRCH, which is the um, International Register of Consultant Herbalists. And twice a year we have conferences, one in Devon, um, which is the summer school, and then we have one in the Midlands, which is the annual general conference. And last weekend, I was at the summer school and we have some great speakers and really inspirational um, tutors and some of the students also share workshops. And one workshop that we had last year that I found particularly 
inspiring was by a chap called Peter Yeo. And he was invited back this year because it was so inspiring. And this year, because it was heavy rain, instead of going out and on a herb walk, we were having a discussion and he was sharing some of the books he's reading and some of his latest insights on plants and the patterns of plants. And Fibonacci came up. And as he was talking about Fibonacci, I just had the question in my head about how bee colonies will naturally expand. Now, very, very few people will allow honeybees to naturally expand. More often than not, if somebody wants to have bees, they will literally buy a colony and they could have come from down the road, 10 miles away, 20 miles away, or even from another country. And that's how bees expand, is we artificially expand them. What we also know is we have really high losses. And depending on where you are, your losses each year could be between 4% and 64%. So that's bees that don't last a whole year, whether they die in the summer or they die over the winter. So there's lots of records about losses. There's lots of records about people increasing their colonies, you know, mainly for pollination or for honey production. But there isn't anything that I could find about when you just see what happens with bees naturally. Now, Professor Tom Seeley had studied the wild colonies in the Arnott Forest. And so there is that record, but they're all in a forest with no outside bees that could come in. So there's no swarms from outside the area. You've just got this closed space where the bees will sort of interbreed and, and then expand. So that is really valid um, information. But what I've been doing on various pieces of land, my own and my clients, is setting up swarm traps, capturing the bees, and then letting them expand. But of course, sometimes there's human intervention, because sometimes we will split. Now, when we were discussing Fibonacci at the weekend with PTO, we were talking about nature and how nature could sometimes be thinking ahead. So for instance, some invasive species of plants are particularly good at thriving in a changing climate. So is there something about nature where it's sending in plants into areas where they will be needed once they are mature? So an example of this is um, Himalayan balsam, which seems to thrive along riverbanks, but what does it do? It clogs up the riverbanks, so it's holding back the water. So maybe if we have drier seasons, although it doesn't feel like it this year, but if we have drier seasons, we don't want all our water flowing out to sea. So maybe the Himalayan balsam is here for a reason. The other thing is ragwort. There's lots of ragwort, which actually helps make the soil more spongy. Where do you see ragwort? Where horses graze. What do horses do? They graze the grass really, really short. So the land dries out quickly. And ragwort, by the way, is only poisonous for horses if they eat it. And they won't eat it if they can see what it is. But if you cut it and dry it and mix it with the hay, that's when horses get poisoned. The other plant that PTO mentioned was hogweed, and that is highly toxic, and people are getting increasingly um, affected by coming into contact with hogweed, uh, so it can increase photosensitivity. Now, something he was saying that research has found is that hogweed has components that um, help eliminate the toxins in the environment, so pesticides. Um, and insecticides. So isn't that amazing? Because our soil is just riddled with it. Anyway, 
this sowed a little seed. And I thought, I wonder if my natural increase of bee colonies has any relationship with Fibonacci sequence. So the last couple of days, I've been going through all my records for all my different clients and for my own bees. And I'm blown away because it does. Quite often I start somewhere where there are no honeybee colonies, but there might be honeybees flying in or visible in the garden. We'll hang up bait hives and swarms move in. Now, if swarms go into a bait hive or a log hive and because I'm not feeding bees, I'm not artificially keeping them alive. Also, I'm not using any chemical treatment. So we really are seeing what happens in nature. What I found that the best example for me is the newt because I've been there now seven seasons. And what I found was when I first went there, I spotted one colony of bees, and that was in the February. Then by the May, there were two colonies, and then it expanded to five. Well, we had three, then five. And that first year, it went up to eight. Did it go up to eight? It went up to eight. And what I found looking over the years was each year we might have one or two or three swarms or splits and then it would revert back. So we've had a number of years where we've had 13 colonies and we might have gone up to 20 in the summer. And then at the end of August or September, some of them would have died out. They would have the original colonies might have overswarmed, and so they couldn't survive. So I keep records every week through the year. But to do my graph, I plotted the numbers for April, June and November, because this gives you a really good idea of what survived the winter, what is going into winter, and also in the middle when you have the swarms, when you have your maximum colonies. So I found this absolutely mind-blowing that the colonies naturally expand according to Fibonacci sequence. Now, this has really interesting implications. If you have, so for instance, this year, we've had 13 colonies for the last three years. And this year, we've gone up to 20, um, 25-ish, 25, maybe 26. And the next number from 13 is 21. So what I'm looking at is thinking, gosh, does this mean that there's going to be four colonies that won't make it to November or to next year. Now, it's quite feasible because you'll have colonies that have swarmed repeatedly. You'll have colonies in trees where the cavity is too small so they can't store enough food to get them through the winter. Or you have a late swarm where their chances of survival are quite small anyway. So isn't this fascinating? So after 21, the next number is 34. So it took our bees three years to go from 13 to 21. So how long does it take to have that, um, the strength in your colonies to be able to expand to that level? But also, is the environment, are the plants adapting as well? Because as the colonies naturally increase, they're all going to need more food. And this is a question I'm often asked is, what is the saturation point of bees? And I've always said, I don't know. I'm sure nature will find a balance. So for the last few years, 13 has been the natural balance. And yet our other species of bees has increased. We've gone to 26, 28, maybe there's 30, um, 31, so, or 34. So it's really interesting 
and it needs more research. But I wanted to share this as soon as I could because I find this so exciting. We know there are patterns everywhere and Fibonacci sequence is just one of those ways of looking at patterns and sequences. We also know that all of nature is communicating with each other all the time. So who are we to think we're outside of that communication? Something my mum always used to say, I've always been very sceptical of medical science um, and particularly operations. I think I'm just so squeamish. The thought of having to be operated on is is terrifying for me. And um, I remember saying to my mum, but aren't we interfering? And if your time's up, shouldn't you die? You know, and and, um, you know, is it wrong to be interfering when we're sick? And then my mum said, I'm sure God has made allowances for human um, advances or advances in technology. And this is something that's often sat in my head, because when we look at bees, is nature allowing for human intervention? And I think it is. I think it does allow that. And that makes us think so splits that is artificial, but then we're actually working with the bees. Swarms, you know, they're completely natural, but either we capture them and put them in a hive and we can keep an eye on them or we let them go into a small cavity in a tree and they may not survive. So at what point does human intervention start or end? And then with the plants, are they listening to the the increase of the bees? Are they then considering, ah, we need to spread, we need to expand because the bees are expanding. We do know that plants flower more when there are bees in the environment, but do they expand quicker when there are colonies that are healthy and expanding too? This is all stuff that really needs to be researched. And I'm absolutely fascinated because I'm sure I could talk to some indigenous people and they'd go, well, yeah, of course we knew that. You know, of course it happens like that. But I think when we take this knowledge and think, what can we do with this knowledge or this thought or this wisdom? When we look at conventional beekeeping or honey farming or um, mass pollination, we can then see how bringing in or buying in, say, 100 colonies from outside your area, that's going to be a real shock to nature. And looking at Fibonacci sequence, that's a long way from zero to 100. And also, if 100 isn't one of those magic numbers, then that's going to have an impact too. And maybe if conventional beekeepers started looking at how many bees they're losing, what are their percentage losses, and then look at what their increases are through the summer, And maybe we can start seeing a bit more pattern so that people could expand their colonies or their production or their their whole industry in alignment with nature, having a much better understanding of the full consequences of colony growth. So I'm finding this absolutely amazing. And I just had to share it straight away. If you've got any thoughts on this, any ideas or any experience or any of your own research, please get in touch. Let's start a conversation about the patterns of bees. Thank you very much for listening today. And I hope that um, you will share this or you'll comment um, and we can get, get on creating a buzz about health and a buzz about bees. This podcast has been produced and edited by the wonderful Bee Brook. 
and the music was created especially for me by Raya. Thank you very much. You have to become yourself. Join us Open next time on Creating a Buzz Open About Health podcast with Paula Carnell. Buzz you later.